Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James 3, 13 through 18. The word of our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a reliable and true guide for us in our Christian walk. We thank you that your word changes hearts and brings dead hearts to life. And Lord, we pray that uh, those of us here today who do not yet know you, Lord, we pray that your word will uh, awaken us. And those of us who do know you, Lord, we pray that your word will stir within us the reminder of the beauty of what you've done for us. I pray for Ryan this morning, Lord, that you would uh, quiet his heart and uh, still his words and let your message come through clearly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we, we've been trucking through a series uh, through the book of James, and the, and the way that we typically do this is we go through books of the Bible. And the reason is, is because, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's convenient to hear things from God that I want to hear, but not to hear things that I don't want to hear. You know what I mean? The problem is I need to hear those things. And so when we preach through books of the Bible, we can't avoid certain things that we want to avoid. And so... Um, so yeah, so that's why we do that, and that's why we're here today, and we've been in the series uh, for a while now, and, and we'll continue uh, through that, uh, through the new year, actually. Um, as I was thinking about today, I was thinking about food, because uh, I like food, and um, I like good food, uh, and, and I think it's one of the reasons I became a server back in the day, uh, to be around food, and to eat food, and to serve food. Uh, food brings people together. It, it's fun, it's good, it's delicious, but something happened with my relationship with food about 10 years ago. All right, now, it's interesting how it happened, though, because here's what would typically happen. I would go to a restaurant, and I'm the kind of guy that likes the pictures, honestly. Like, I mean, I'm a sucker for a good picture of food, right? I'm like, yeah, just give me that. Or, or, or I'll stop the server and I'll say, hey, what is that guy having over there? Give me one of those, right? I don't know if anybody else is like that. That's kind of me. Um, but, but they added this thing on the menu like, about 10 years ago. And, you know, it's, it's these numbers on the menu, like, next to the food, all right? So you, you look up the food, and then, and then you, you see the price. And it wasn't the price that affected me. It was this, like, little three or, if it's really good food, four-digit number that's next to the menu item, the calories. And it just drives me nuts that they actually tell me what I'm about to put in my body. Anybody else with me? You go out and you, you're getting ready to enjoy something great and you see 2,500 calories. What? Yeah, I don't know about you, but it, it was, ignorance was bliss for me before they started adding the calories. And, 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 it's, and it, or not adding them, just revealing what was actually in it. Um, 
I don't know what it is, but that kind of ruined my food experience at sometimes because sometimes I'll just be like, all right, um, you know, whatever. I'm just going to have a, a salad, just leaves, no lettuce. That's it. That's, it's, and you kind of overcorrect or, or you just go all in and you're like, give me dessert and extra sauce. I don't know. I don't know what you do with it. But the reason why I share that is because in the book of James, James takes some things that Jesus taught about, some things that, that even Paul taught about, and he fully expands them. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I wonder, you know, did I have wisdom in this situation? Did I have wisdom in that situation? Should I trust this wisdom, or is that wisdom, or is it not wisdom? Well, James unpacks it fully for us on what wisdom is that's from above and what wisdom is that's from below. So just in the same way that you know what you're putting in your body when you go to a restaurant now, you're going to know when you walk out today whether you've got wisdom from above or wisdom from below in any given situation. And he makes it pretty clear on how he does that. And, and the more that I read about, read what James writes and have been preaching through it and studying it more deeply, the more that I see the resemblance of Jesus and James. Now, now all scripture is God-breathed, don't get me wrong. But James lines up a lot exactly with the teachings of Jesus. James gets a bad rap all the time because he's so direct. And there's, there's, there's a lot of grace that's implied, but it's not explained a lot of times. And so he gets a bad rap. But Jesus taught the exact same things. Let me give you an example about what he taught about wisdom. If you've got a Bible, just flip over to Luke chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 22. And we're going to look about what Jesus had to say about wisdom. Because... Uh, Jesus wasn't what people expected when he came on the scene. You know, and, 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 G, and John, even one of his uh, closest, uh, his cousin, John the baptizer, you know, he, he was the last prophet before Jesus came. And, and John was beginning to suffer because he was identifying with Jesus. And do you remember this scene in, 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 in Luke chapter 7 where John starts to doubt a little bit about the legitimacy of what he's suffering for? Because here's the deal, and don't miss this, everybody will identify with Jesus until it costs them something. John was beginning, it was beginning to cost John something to follow Jesus. And here's what he says, Luke 7, starting in verse 22, he's, he's doubting, he's like, is this, is this the one or should, we, or, should, or should we keep looking for the one, for the Messiah? And, and Jesus says this to him, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. That the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. In other words, tell him that you see the evidence of the kingdom through the ministry that I have. Remind him of that. And then he looks at the Pharisees that are bringing charges up against them, and he says this, John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say to him, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come, eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then Jesus says this, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. He's saying that there's a way to know what you believe and how that lives out, and it's, and it's in your actions. Wisdom is justified by her children. So what what our lives produce is, is what reveals the source of wisdom that we have, what, produce, what, what reveals the type of wisdom that we have. In other words, you can say things all day long, but if they don't produce the same effect in your life, it's not, they're not congruent with one another. 
The big idea of where we're going today is this, is that wisdom is revealed through relationships. And kind of the outline of where we're going is, is exactly how James laid it out. There's wisdom from below, and then there's wisdom from above. And, and as we journey through this today, it's, it's not necessarily this, this test of do I have it or, or do I not? Because James actually doesn't give us a checklist. But what he does do is he shows us what the heart looks like that produces, that, that proves that they have the wisdom from above. So, so he kind of goes through that. Um, and let me remind you uh, of, of kind of how we've defined wisdom. We, we've used this quote from a Chuck Swindoll that's been really helpful and it's this, wisdom is the God-given ability to see life with rare objectivity, so to see life through the lens that Jesus sees life through, to have that rare objectivity, but also to respond to life with rare stability. Now, what you'll notice about that quote and how we're defining wisdom is that it's all contingent upon a relationship with God. In other words, it's, po- it's impossible to have wisdom from above and it not be sourced from Jesus Christ. And that's why uh, the, the, the writer of Proverbs says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You've heard that before, right? In other words, wisdom starts with a relationship with God. If you don't have a relationship with God, it is impossible to have wisdom from above. It's all relational. And so what happens in our day-to-day lives is our, our, either our wisdom from below or our wisdom from above is revealed and proven through how we interact with one another. In other words, wisdom is far more than knowledge. That's the key because we tend to associate wisdom with knowledge. You've got to have knowledge, but that's got to live through our beings. So let's dig into wisdom from below. Let me remind you what James says here. We'll start in verse 14. And I I want you to notice the the focus of the person that is believing the wisdom that is from below. Listen. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be false to the truth. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So the way that I want to break this down is I want to look at the, the character of, of wisdom from below or above. Then I want to look at uh, the origin, like where did, it, where did it come from. But then also we want to look at um, the outcome of it. So, so what happens when you're living that out? And the reason why I want to start with the character is because it's what we notice most, right? So... Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you're like me, but uh, when I go to the doctor, um, I've, because of the interwebs, um, <laughs> some of you laughed. Y'all are kind of dead this morning. Um, because of the internet, when I go to the doctor, I'm pretty much just telling the doctor what they need to do, right? Anybody else? Like, you come in, you got WebMD, you're like, hey, doc, I already got it figured out. If you just write the script, you know, I know you went to school and stuff. It doesn't really matter. Just write it. So, basically, what we're looking at today is, is kind of like that. We've got this... We've got this diagnosis, and we're looking for a, a prognosis. What do we do next? How do we respond to this? So as you're looking at your life, looking at your heart, and the diagnosis is jealousy or selfish ambition, he's, he's kind of telling you what's going on here. Jealousy is this. It's, it's a strong desire for what someone else has, a strong desire 
for what someone else has. You, you know what jealousy feels like in your own heart. You know what it looks like in someone else's heart. But, but I think it's more than just materialism. As, as Americans, we, we tend to think, okay, you know, of, of covetousness and that being the end of jealousy, meaning, you know, oh, I, I want their house or their car or their situation. But, but I think it's, it's more than that. I think it's, it, it, it plays out in my life maybe more like this. It's when you're passed over for a promotion that someone else that's less qualified has gotten in your place. Uh, it's when you get left out of something that you think you really should have been invited to and been a part of. It's when someone else gets the attention or credit for something that you do all of the time. Am I preaching to you yet? All right? You know what I'm talking about. That's jealousy. When you desire what something someone else has. What, uh, you know, are you jealous right now? Where, where is it that this, this hits you, this strikes you, that this surfaces? I can tell you where it does in my life. It always starts when I go down that rabbit trail of comparison, right? Comparison, when you begin to look at other people and, and begin to desire what they have. So whenever I start kind of matching myself up against other people, it's only a matter of time before I'm jealous. I mean, every single time, because I can look, every single one of you, I can be jealous of your life about one thing for sure. I can find something, probably multiple things, that I wish that I had to be a part of my life that you have in your life, all right? And we could do the same thing when we begin to do that, when we begin to compare with one another. That's usually an indicator where I'm beginning to run off the rails. Now, so if jealousy is kind of the, 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 the defensive side, selfish ambition is the offensive side. Now, it's, it's, a, it's a self-interested, preoccupational response to situations that cause pain. It's selfish ambition is just a little bit different because it's more offensive. It's, it's jealousy, you kind of think about it, you're kinda, it's kind of in your mind, but selfish ambition is when you actually begin to act on your jealousy. It's when you begin to put it into play, when you begin to let that dog hunt, and, and our concern when we're in these situations where we're experiencing jealousy in our heart or selfish ambition with our actions, is that our, our concern is it's always primarily aimed at self. We're always looking inside whenever our lives are producing that. And it's selfish ambition is not just this steamroller mentality or demeanor that you think about. Like that, that guy just bulldog over me in the office. You know, he just, he just muscled his way through that, that conversation or that decision that we had to make. It can also be subtle. It, it can be kind of passive aggressive where you avoid certain people because you don't want to be confronted with whatever they want to say to you. And so you just kind of you, you take this, this other approach. We, we, call, we call that on the New City Church staff team uh, when somebody does something like that being pastor aggressive, all right? Pastor aggressive. Look it up. It's in Webster's. Um, pastor aggressive is, is whenever, whenever you kind of say, like, bless your heart, but you're trying to get your way at the same time, right? And so, so no matter what it looks like, it's always aimed, whether it's jealousy or this action of self-ambition, it's always aimed at self. And, and James says this, the origin is this, is that it's not from above, that it's earthly, that it's unspiritual, so it, it has, it's oriented toward the flesh predominantly. And then he goes on to say that it's demonic. That, that, that's, that's how bad it is when, when jealousy and selfish ambition are alive and well in our hearts. Now, 
when, when our primary focus is self, we're, we're operating out of worldly wisdom. So, so basically it means this, when you take all that you are and all that you are becoming and you make it all about you. Now we get in these places at unexpected times in our lives. And when I, when I get there, I, I start getting defensive. I start comparing myself to others. Like jealousy arises in my heart. And sometimes it turns out to be selfish ambition. But a lot of times it just lives in my heart. And I, ultimately I get into this, this place where I'm just in self-protection mode. Where basically everyone's out to get me and I've just got to protect myself and my own agenda. And uh, the wisdom of the world, James says, is when you, you place yourself and you alone on the throne of your life. And, and get this, church. The world will applaud you for it. That's the scariest thing of all. Is the world will applaud you for taking care of you. For doing what's best for you. For looking out for number one. The world will applaud you for it. And James says something crazy. He says it's demonic. If the writer of Ephesians says that we shouldn't be ignorant of the schemes of the devil. And here's the reason why. 2 Corinthians 11. He says that, uh, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So the Bible says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. In our context, when we're talking about jealousy and selfish ambition, wisdom from below, what that means is, is that the enemy will convince you that what you're doing is actually right when you're being self-centered. That, 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 that's crazy, right? So do you have a, a, a fear of, of missing out? If I don't switch jobs and get ahead of the curb, I'm going to miss an opportunity. If I don't experience wh- whatever it is, fill in the blank, then I'm going to miss out on life. Where is it that you are prone to cut corners and aim all of your life at yourself? Because James says that comes from below. That does not come from above. That's when the wisdom of the world is being amplified in your ears, when you have a preoccupation with self and no one else. See, it's, it's not what we expected James to say. It, it's not at all what we expected him to say. I, I was in a couple of meetings this week that, that happened to be back-to-back, and they they had the, the, the same theme. I just really sensed God doing the same thing in these two different people's lives. One of them was a pastor, and, and he was trying to figure out um, how to best serve his church through a time of, of transition. And, and he was really apprehensive and fearful about what was going to happen with this congregation, how they were going to respond to what he felt like God had put in his heart for their church. And, and so he, he said on a, a phone call with a few of us, he says, if I do this, I just know that everybody's going to leave, that there's no way this is going to work out. Yet God had called him to do this thing, and he knew that, that he, in, in his heart he'd convinced himself that it wasn't going to work out. The other one was a businessman who has a really big job. Hundreds of people report to him. Um, and and the, the interesting thing about the position uh, that, that he is in is that he's been white-knuckling at, at a job that he came to from out of town for two years. And he's not seeing the results that his boss wants. Yet he's sacrificed everything for it. He's given his life for it. His family is suffering for it. He's not even getting the money he, he, he should get for it. 
And so he's kind of at the end of his rope. He's been sacrificing and doing everything he can, and his joy has just been absolutely extinguished. And I asked them both the same question this week. Because in both of the situations, they were believing, in a sense, the wisdom of the world. That just says, if you just work harder, you just blow through all the indicators, then it'll pay off in the end. Or the wisdom from below that says, you know, the church isn't going to respond to my leadership well. Everything's going to fall apart. I ask them both the same question. I ask them this question. What would you do if you weren't afraid to fail? What, what would you do if you weren't afraid of not being enough? What would you do if you, if, if you weren't afraid to fail? And, and the pastor said this. He said, you know what I would do? He said, I'd go plant a church among the urban poor. And he began to get excited as he began to talk about it. He began to come alive. And I said, brother, I don't know what God's doing in your life, but there's something there that you need to, to, to unpack a little bit more because God's doing something there. God's doing something. And the other guy, when I asked him the same question, he said, you know what I would do? He said, I would work as hard as I can in the time that I can, and I would leave the rest up to God, and I would go home, and I would eat dinner with my family, and I'd be with them every night. And I said, brother, why not do that? You see, the wisdom of the world says that it's all up to you. And because it's all up to you, you've got to focus all of your attention, all of your affection, and all of your energy on you. The problem is, is that that does not lead to the abundant life that Jesus Christ promises to give us. Amen? When, when you aim it all at you, it never works out the way that you think it's going to. What if we really trusted God? What if we really trusted the wisdom that comes from above? The wisdom that we get through a relationship with Him. How would we live if we didn't have to spend our lives covering our steps because we're covered by the blood? How would we live if we didn't have to spend our lives clearing our name because we've got a new name? How would we live if we didn't have to protect ourselves because we're hidden in Jesus Christ? What would that do for your soul? See, because the the wisdom from above is completely different. Jesus talks about it very candidly. Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to flip over there for just a minute. It's not what you expect, the wisdom from above. But it's very simple. It's this. The cross of Jesus. And, and the more that you see Jesus, the more you see the cross in the Scriptures, you begin to see that the cross is not just something that's done for you. But the cross is the instrument of your sanctification. It's something that's done to you. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. He relates it exactly to this wisdom that we've talked about. Paul writes this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discerning, discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who's wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Is the wisdom of the world foolish to you this morning? Or is it the truest thing about you? Where are you at with this? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ, Christ crucified. 
a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, to you, church, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. He says this, the cross is the source of wisdom. It's not just something that's done for you, which we're so grateful for, we sing about, we pray about, but it's something that's done to you. Do you know what the word of the cross is that Paul's talking about? You see, it's this, that that Jesus was the only one who ever walked this earth who had a right to make everything about him, to center the world on him. And yet he came and he humbled himself, as Philippians 2 says, to the point of death, even death on a cross, which meant and signified that he was cursed above all mankind. That that is what Jesus came to do. That is what our God, our Lord, came to do. And he didn't just come to do that to rescue us. He came to do that to give us an example on how we ought to live as those who have wisdom from above on this earth. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me, right? That if if it doesn't cost you something to follow Jesus, you might want to make sure you're following him. Because this wisdom that's from above is about surrender, it's about sacrifice, it's about laying our lives down for the sake of the kingdom of God and the flourishing of others. And people look at the cross and that selfless nature of it and they say, that will never get me anywhere in this life. That will never get me anywhere in my career. That won't make things better in my family. That won't help me be a better parent. That will get me nowhere. If I just lay down myself, I lay down my life and my desires and I seek first the kingdom, that won't get me anywhere. And that's when you know you're believing the wisdom that is from below. Because it says the cross being applied to your life is foolish. Jesus says the exact opposite. Because when we come to the end of ourselves, something amazing happens. Jesus becomes more alive in us and through us than he ever has before. And that's the wisdom that is from above. And and, and the, the the product of it, James talks about. Listen to this. It, it, uh, James chapter 3, starting in verse 13, we'll read 17 and 18 as well. He says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Underline meekness there. We're going to come back to that. In the meekness of wisdom. That's the key to the whole passage in my opinion. But the wisdom from above is first pure, and then it's peaceable, it's gentle, It's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So so let's unpack the character of this this cross-shaped life that Jesus has called us to live, called us to base everything on. What do you notice first about the wisdom from above? How does it relate to self? Okay? How does it relate to self? We are, we are probably the most self-preoccupied 
uh, people of, in history. I mean, I think everybody's selfish, but we're pretty selfish too, right? And everything's about us. How does the wisdom from above relate to self? Can, can you see anything that says, that, that has the, the, you know, the Burger King mantra that you can have it your way? I don't see anything there, right? Nothing. Pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, not close-minded. What do you notice about it? The first thing is this, is that it's first pure, meaning it's undefiled. It's, it's able to speak the whole truth about ourselves and to others in love. Because, you know what? The, the short gain, worldly wisdom of this age says that you've got to cut some corners. You've got to, you've got to boast. You've got to be a little deceitful sometimes to make it happen in this world. You've got to lie sometimes. And, and when we do that, it, it circumvents the gain that we have in the, Christ, in the cross. Because Paul thought that the cross was gain, that death was gain. Yet I don't hear much of that in books today, right? The cross is gain. I don't, I don't see that being a, a bestseller on the New, York's, New York bestsellers list, you know? I don't see that at the Times. So he says the, the first thing is that it's pure, that it's undefiled. The second thing is this, is that it's peaceable, meaning it, 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 it takes the power that God gives us through the gospel. You remember that? Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of, the power of God for everyone believes. The, the power that you have in the gospel means that you are not only, not, not only do you have peace with God, but you're able to make peace with others. Remember the beatitude? Blessed are the peacemakers. Why would Jesus call us blessed if we weren't able to make peace through the power of the gospel living inside of us? Now, I'm not saying that every single situation you're able to make peace with, but there's a lot that's under the, the, the dominion of our, uh, you know, influence that we can make peace in if we have humility. But most of the time, it's really hard for me to get there because I'm thinking about myself. Because Jesus Christ lives in you and he's made peace by the blood of his cross, as the book of Colossians says you now have the ability to make far more peace than you could ever imagine with others. That's the beauty of what he's done, and that's the wisdom from above when, when you catch yourself actually pursuing that. Do you believe that Jesus has given you power to make peace in your family this year? To make peace with that person that just rubs you absolutely the wrong way? Do you believe that he's given you that opportunity. He goes on to say that, that it's gentle. In other words, meek. That's that word again. And that it's open to reason. And, and here's what that means. That means when we walk into conversations, relationships, and situations, we walk in with an open mind about God being at work in other people. That's a far different way to live. I don't know about you, but when I'm centered on myself, I'm listening to the world's wisdom, usually before I meet with someone or before I know I'm going to see someone that maybe, you know, I don't see eye to eye on, I'm like, I've got like this inner defense attorney like coming up, right? Like I've got like the, the whole docket of what we're going to run down in the conversation and how I'm going to destroy them on every point, right? I, I don't know, maybe it's just my sinful heart that I'm revealing to you here, but maybe you're the same way. But when I'm in a good place, when I'm in a place that's, that's turned outward, that's, that's, that's Christ-centered, that, that, that sees the cross as something that, that is done to me daily as I follow Jesus, I'm open to reason. 
the judgmental gossip that James says comes straight from the pit of hell, is it on my lips? I'm open to reason. I'm open to the fact that God might be at work in someone else differently than he is in me and that I might be wrong in a situation. When's the last time you considered that you might be wrong? When's the last time you walked into a hostile environment and thought, you know what, maybe they've got something to show me? When's the last time you had that type of humility? Are you open to reason or are you closed-minded this morning? And I'm not talking about having loose theology or a, a new age kind of spirituality that just says, you know, you know, whatever you believe, go for it. I'm not talking about that. James is talking about relationships with other believers here. That, that's what he's talking about. How do you come across to other people? Are you aware? When, if someone were to give you a couple of words about how you come across to others, what would they say? Would they say, he's, oh, he's peaceable. That dude's a total peacemaker, right? They say, oh, man, that's the, that's the gentlest soul I know. He's so open to reason and, and humble. He's just so quick to listen. I just, I can't believe. I have to, I have to draw out words from him. Is that what people say about you? Is it? You think that's what Jesus wants for you, for his kingdom to advance? Maybe that would be the, the type of soil that, that, that our good works would grow out of. Lastly, the origin is, is from below, obviously. <laughs> but the outcome is this. It's just two things I want to make a note of before we wrap up. Is this idea of meekness and the, and the fact that a, that a harvest of righteousness comes from those who make peace. Sown in peace for peace. So uh, let's turn to Jesus and, and, and see what he has to say about meekness. Um, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. It's, it's a passage that I've been spending a lot of time on um, and thinking about what Jesus has to say about this idea of meekness because it's, it's an aim that I want for my life uh, to grow in more and more. And, and Jesus says this, um, come to me all who, are, who, who labor and are heavy laden and, and I'll give you rest. Now, the key to that idea of rest is this, is that the wisdom that comes from below I think I skipped over this, is, uh, it's full of disorder, it's, 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 it's vile in every way, is what James says. Well, that word for disorder uh, in the Greek is, is actually a similar word to rest, but it's restlessness. And so he says, if you're, if you're living in the wisdom from below, you're restless. And if you're in that spot right now, you identify completely. You're restless, you're not content. You can, you can think about all of the things that are going wrong, and it's really hard to think about anything that's going right. It's a state of mind. It's because you're living in this, this, this kind of atmosphere is wisdom from below. But Jesus, first thing he says is this, come to me all who, are labor, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Are you tired? Are you exhausted? Are you grasping at straws and nothing sticking in your life right now? Do you need rest? Jesus says, okay, that's great. Come to me. Come to me. And he says this, take my yoke upon you. Now, now a yoke is, is, is like a, a, a farming instrument, right? A tool, right? It's a, it's a way that, that you could, could kind of channel power, right? If you, if you put it on two oxen, you could channel the, double the power to get, to get the plow pulled through the field. Jesus says that, 
that in order for us to learn how to live the way that he's created us to live, to, to have this rest, is we've got to take on his yoke. And what that means is we've got to learn how to live under the law as he has designed us to. To not muscle it up, to be only concerned with ourselves. We've got to come alongside him. He says that there, in our sanctification, we've got to learn from him. That you can't just read about it. You can't just study it. But you've got to learn as you walk with him through life as a disciple. And what we learn about him is this, is that he's gentle. It's the same word for meek. That he's gentle and lowly in heart. That he's, that he's, he's not just ready to kind of to beat you down with all the things you've done in your life that are wrong. But he wants to sit with you as a friend of sinners and tax collectors. When is the last time you saw Jesus like that? As a friend of of sinners, ready to come alongside of you. And he says, he says this, the outcome of coming and learning from him throughout your life is that you'll find rest for your souls. That that's the cure for the restless heart that you have when you're living according to the wisdom of this world. Because he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, the Pharisees love to load people up with all the ways they couldn't keep the law, all the ways they couldn't keep the tradition, all the ways they couldn't keep the rituals. Are you tired this morning? Jesus offers a better way for us to come into the meekness of who he is and to come alongside him and to learn from him. The way of Jesus has to be learned. It's it's the way of the cross, the way of wisdom that's from above. It's it's moving from a self-oriented, self-focused life to a life of others. It, It doesn't make sense when you think about the mathematics of it, that if we lose ourselves, that we gain ourselves. But Jesus says, and Paul agrees, that that's the type of wisdom that comes from above. And and I I was reading this book that's that's a fantastic book. Uh, It's Matthew Henry wrote it. It's called The Discourse on Meekness and Quietness of Spirit. And, And he says this, meekness softens the wax that it may receive the impression of the seal, whether it be for doctrine or reproof, for correction or instruction in righteousness. It opens the ear to discipline, silences objections, and suppresses the risings of the carnal mind against the word. Agreeing with the law that it is good and esteeming all the precepts concerning all things to be right, even when they give the greatest check to flesh and blood. So what you see is that this this attitude of meekness, I I love the image of softening the wax. It's like before a seal, kind of old school times, right? That, 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 you know, you, you could try to put your seal on something all day long, but if the wax isn't soft, it doesn't work. That meekness is kind of the underlying demeanor of the man or the woman of God. And it's much slower moving than the wisdom of this world, okay? It's much more patient. And let me just encourage you with this. I, I see meekness in this church. I see it, in, and it, I see it so much that I just want it more for us. I want it more for you because I see it when you gently pull someone aside that's hurt you in this church. You refuse to gossip. You refuse to go behind their back. You refuse to make it all about you and play the victim card. But you gently pull them aside and let them know that you've been hurt. You're doing Matthew 18. I see it when, when you've been convicted over some careless word that you spoke to a coworker, and you're in my MC and you're like, hey, you know, I need to go make things right with them tomorrow. 
I see meekness at work in you. I, I see it when you believe the best about one of your fellow co-workers, one of your fellow believers in the church. I see it when you encourage one another. I see it when you take time to visit someone. You just lay down your life and say, they matter more than me. I want to go be with them. I see it when you listen to others without prematurely inserting yourself. And I just want it more and more for us because I think it's a countercultural way for us to live. And I think the world needs to see the way of the cross through the church of Jesus. And I think we have this great opportunity to put it on display for the world to see. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for, um, for just meeting us today with your word and, and being so explicit and direct with us about what it looks like to turn from self to turn toward others, to consider, to count others better than ourselves because Jesus has counted us better than himself. Lord, how applicable is that to us today? Lord, we're entering into a season of Christmas where we've taken the birth of Jesus and made it about us. Father, would you help us to refute that lie that this is about us? God, because we know from your word that we pursue others, we pursue peace, we lay down our lives, that we find our lives. So would you help us to do that? Would you convict our hearts today and grow us in the ways of Jesus? It's in his name we pray. Amen.